Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, the writer begins, it happened. All of us will have it happened moments in our lives. And if you have not had one yet, just give it a little bit of time and you will. And it happened moment is one of those incidents that you don't really want to call by name. The thing you hope that maybe if you just don't talk about it, if you just remain silent, maybe it will go away. The inspired writer begins, it happened in the spring of the year. He started to talk about it, but then he shifted to the weather. You ever start a conversation you really don't want to have? And so you start talking about, well, it was a Thursday. Uh, uh, have you ever been to Arizona? You know, and you just start talking about things. But finally, the writer rallies his courage and begins to tell the story. He says, it happened in the spring of the year. At the time, kings go out to battle. You see, the time of the year was actually important to the story here. Because the beginning of spring actually marked the end of rainy season. And when rainy season ended, the the roads dried and uh, they became passable and the armies can begin to go back out into battle and the rest. It's very difficult to take an army on a muddy road. It's a very, very challenging thing. So so, so once the, 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 the ground was dry, everything shifted. Then the writer mentions a name. Again, it happened. You don't know what he's talking about. Very, very vague time of year. And then we hear this name, not an ordinary name, but the beloved king, the sweet psalmist of Israel, a man a few chapters earlier, God had called a man after his own heart. It happened that David sent Joab and his servants with him. Now to us, that may not be a big deal. But during this this period of history, kings led from the front. And here we see a man who was once that heroic uh, warrior, that heroic leader that took on the, the, the giant Goliath. But now we see he sends men to do what he ought to do himself. Something has gone wrong. And then not only did he send his generals and all his servants, you know, his whole entourage, his cabinet, he said all Israel went with him as well. Meaning if all of Israel had to fight, this was not a minor battle. This was a major battle that you would expect your king to show up and lead. But in spite of David's absence, they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Reba. Now, David, by this point in his life, was about 50 years old. And let's say that's where the parallel ends, okay, with with his birthday thing. Don't think I'm preaching about myself this morning. He has survived every crisis. The nation was prosperous. 
God had given him success in every battle. But it seemed that David let himself get bored. Success can be one of the most challenging things you can ever experience in your life. It goes on to say that David wasn't interested in doing what he used to do. It said David remained in Jerusalem. Sometimes the opposite of happiness is not sadness. It's boredom. David lost his passion. He lost his fire. He lost his, his, his heart. When I was a kid, we grew, I grew up on Long Island. And we would often go to the beach. When you go to the beach, you, you learn pretty quickly a few rules. If you start playing, particularly when there are waves and, and the rest, when you start playing out in, in the ocean and your back's to the shore, the undertow, without you knowing, takes you further and further and further out or away from the shore. So if you played with your back to the shoreline, you could find yourself in a position that you're so far away from shore, you don't have strength to get back in. So swimming and and playing with your back to solid ground, with your back to, 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 to the beach, could actually become deadly. It says, David remained behind at Jerusalem. He began to take his eyes off the solid ground that got him to where he got to at that point in his life. He forgot that that leadership and all the good things in his life were not a right, but a trust. And then with the writer had been wanting to talk about, but really didn't want to, but he finally got to it. Said everything else was an introduction. But then he repeats what he said earlier. Then it happened. The thing that will cost David the rest of his natural life. You know, trust takes years to build, seconds to break, and a lifetime to repair. Then it happened. Good man. But still, it happened. A man inspired to write the Psalms, which is one of the largest books in our Bible. But then it happened. It says, David arose from his bed. St. Augustine said this, God has made us for himself. How many of you believe that's true? And our hearts remain restless until we find our rest in him. Our sleepless nights may very well be God trying to tell us something. His restlessness was God trying to speak. David, something's wrong. You're not where you need to be at this point in your life. So he's restless, he's not at ease, he's not quite in his right mind, he's lost his fire, his purpose, his passion, he's getting old. The Bible says he walked on the roof of the king's house. Now, if he was on the battlefield where he belonged, he wouldn't have been on the roof with some binoculars like somebody's peeping Tom, you hear what I'm saying? It's important. 
90% of the time, we don't really have a sin problem. We have a lack of purpose problem. That was good. Come on, give it up just a little bit. That was good. And from the roof. The roof is any place that's different than where God wants you to be at this point in your life. Here's something I've learned. God will give me grace for wherever he leads me, wherever that is. But he is not obligated to give me grace to places I choose to stay behind. So it's vital that you keep up with God, that you run your race and, and stay on fire for those things that are important. And from the roof, a place he ought not have been in the first place. He was not anointed to look at skin. He was anointed to look at blood. No, this is important. Because a doctor may have to look at skin all day long, but there's a grace for what he got to do. But when a construction worker starts looking at that same skin, you got some problems. Oh, they ain't going to help me now. God will give you grace for whatever, whatever. Just imagine if somehow, uh, not that I wanted to go, but I had to go into uh, some type of strip joint to get one of y'all out, one of y'all out, okay? (laughs) If that's God's will, I'll be safer with a woman on a pole, you hear what I'm saying? Then reading my ABCs to my grandchildren. You hear what I'm saying? That's good. It's God's will. I don't, I, man, you don't know what I am without God. I don't want you to know what I am without God. Unto him who's able to keep you from falling and present you blameless at his coming. He can keep you. But you got to be willing to be kept. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, Bathsheba is not completely guiltless here. How many of you know that you can't live in Hyde Park in Chicago, across the street from the president, and not notice when he's on the porch? And with your front door open, you decide you're going to take a sponge bath. Come on. And the woman was very beautiful to behold, meaning she knew what she was working with. Young people, there is nothing new under the sun. David and Bathsheba, they invented the hotline bling. How y'all know about that? How do y'all know about that? (laughs) The Bible says, the woman was very beautiful to behold. Men, it's natural to notice So don't worry about that. 
The first look is never the problem. It's when the second look turns into a stare. When you do one of these, these, that's when the problem arises. So David went and inquired about the woman. Again, it's natural to notice. But David took it to the next level and he inquired. Talk about baby, what's your name? And someone was wise enough among his retinue and said, you know, isn't this not Bathsheba? Meaning they were looking to. <laughs> Watch who you hang out with. The daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Didn't they say the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, they said married. That ought to have been enough to cause David to back off. But David had lost sight of his shoreline. And he's about to drown in an ocean of self-importance and pride. Verse 4. Then David sent messengers and took her. In English, that sounds stronger than it is. The original Hebrew shows that there was really no sign of protest. This was not at all by force. Let's break down really quickly the anatomy of this thing, because the way it worked with David will work with you too. And if you catch it at the eyes, you can stop it before it gets any further. First, the Bible says, David sees her. Why did he even see her? Because he was at home instead of on the battlefield. But second, it said, then he sends for her. An idle mind is the devil's playground. And now third, the Bible says, takes two to tango. And she came to him. She cooperated. You see, he got game, she got game, but the devil played both of them in this situation. And he lay with her. Come on, this is the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart. How did this happen? It was a gradual drift. You will never get so anointed you don't have to keep your heart and your eyes on God. And he got to playing in the rest. And before long, he was in over his head. If there's anything I want you to get out of this message, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on what's important. It says, for she was cleansed from her impurity. This is a Bible way of saying she had just gone through her time of the month. She was fertile myrtle, if you will. You see, the devil knows how to do it in a way that will cause you the maximum amount of pain possible. But listen to this next part. 
and she returned to her house. Right after the devil got what he wanted, he kicked her right out of bed. That's the way the devil will do you. It's fun while it's going on, but you don't want to stay a minute longer. Verse 5. Everybody thought this was a private matter between two consulting adults, nobody's business but our own. But then first five rolls along. And the woman conceived. Uh Uh-oh. The deed is not so private anymore. It's about to impact both families and the nation. You say, well, what's this got to do with it? No, 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 no. What you do impacts everybody in the family. Everybody connected to you. So she did the right thing. She sent and told David. She said, "Uh, I'm with child. Where's the music now? Sin is pleasurable for a season. The problem is spring turns to summer, summer falls, seasons come to an end. Second Samuel 12, 1. We got to do some skipping today and we're going to cover the rest in Bible study. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. The casual reader of scripture won't realize this, but David and Nathan had a long-term relationship. They'd gone back, they went back a few years. Nathan, in fact, was the one that prophesied that David's kingdom would last forever. And here's what I find. God usually uses people that we have relationships with to correct us and speak into our lives. As a last resort, he might use someone we don't know, or sometimes he just won't even say it at all. I See, a lot of people after service, and I, I love you and I'm for you and I'm not mad at you, but people I don't know come up to me and say, well, the Lord, t- I don't know you. I don't know who you pray to. I don't know where you come from. I haven't watched your life. Typically in God's pattern, he uses someone you know, someone with a track record. And this was the case. And you are in people's lives sometimes so God can have a human set of eyeballs to say what needs to be said in moments that you might not hear God. So Nathan came to him and he said to him, this is important because a lot of folks think they're prophets and stuff and they they just mean, that's all they are. They mean, they just mean. I want you to notice the tact. The tenderness, the care, and the concern, the wisdom used in Nathan's approach. He didn't walk into the throne room, you know, uh, with his finger out and say, you know what? You, you a hypocrite. You're going to die. God going to kill you. God going to get you. You know, I knew this from the beginning. You a fault. No, he didn't do none of that. He went into the throne room trying to capture David's heart. True communication is not just having something to say. It's important. It's finding the right way to say it. And you might be right, but if you don't have the right attitude, you're not going to help anybody. So Nathan has an issue. So how can I reach David? So he decided to tell him a story. He went into the throne room and David probably asked about his family, and and he asked about uh, David's family, and they had the conversation, and then Nathan said, 
King, there were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. See, the problem was David had become blind to his own faults. And we'll all have moments like that. We just can't see that the things we got wrong in our lives. So his challenge was, how can I tell David this in a way he won't get defensive? And secondly, since he's the king, how can I say this in a way that he won't kill me? I face that same challenge every Sunday, by the way. (laughs) I sure do. So again, Nathan tells him a story to something he could look at objectively. He said there were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. David does not know Nathan's talking about him just yet. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had brought and nourished. And the flocks here speak of David's... uh, What do you call those when you have a lot of women? Uh, Harem, thank you. Let me read again from three. Take it from the top. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which which he had brought and nourished. So again, Bathsheba's husband only had one wife. Unlike David, who had many. See, the deal was while he was out on that roof, he could have called a blonde, a brunette. You hear what I'm saying? He he, he wanted short, you wanted tall, you wanted big, you wanted... He had all these options. He had all these women that he had already married in concubines plus. All he had to do was knock on a door down the hall. So Nathan's telling the story, and he knows how to tell a story. He said, he bought it and nourished, and, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. But then a traveler Guess who the travel is? The devil. The one who specializes in visiting us when we're weak. And a traveler, not a man, not, see, see, a traveler comes and goes. You see, David was basically a good guy. But in a stupid and weak moment, the devil had opportunity. So, so, so he visited and he came. And he came to the rich man who refused to take, refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd any wife to choose from right down the hall. And he could have done that to prepare for the traveling, a wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So when David hears the story, David's a king, and he's thinking, you know what, Nathan, this, this must have happened in my kingdom, and he has on his king hat. He's looking at this thing as, as the judiciary, if you will, and, and he said, oh, wait, 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 It says, verse 5, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. It's funny how we give ourselves a pass, but we throw the book at somebody else. Yeah. You know, I thought about that. I said, how could David even live with what he did? And then, you know, I said, you know what? I think in David's thinking, he was like, you know what? Bathsheba didn't say no. You know, it's just the two of us, just two grown adults. You know, we're just doing what we do. You know, she, did, she had no problem with it. And I think he also got to thinking, you know what? And we, this is what we do when we're wrong. You know, Uriah is a soldier. He's always out in battle. It's just a matter of time before he dies. So you know what? What if I just kill him anyway? 
Because again, he's a soldier. He's always, he going to die. So uh, I'll just accelerate the, the, the inevitable. So in his mind, he's like, well, he was going to die. Yeah, I just helped it, you know. Matter of fact, I didn't do it. I just told the man, I said, listen, go close to the wall. And then right when the, the fighting gets thick, everyone back away and let them kill your ride. I didn't actually kill him. You know, he's going to die anyway. And that's what we do in our minds. But after listening, unclouded by self-interest, he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. In condemning others, we often condemn ourselves. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.